All right, good morning. Today we'll be reading from Acts 9, verses 19 to 31. It's on page 917 in your pew Bibles. For some days, Saul was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed, Jesus is in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who called, who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he has not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But the disciples took him in night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him <clears throat> and to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went out and among them in the Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he had spoke and disputed against the Hellenites, and they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and multiplied. Well, we continue the story. I guess we've had a couple sermons already today, so let's have another one. We continue the story of God's incredible love and pursuit of lost people. That's really a theme throughout Acts, but we see it very specifically in these last few chapters as, as God's promise through Jesus that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's being fulfilled. It's moving out uh, like ripples from uh, a stone thrown into a clear lake. It's moving its way out. But specifically, when we see the conversion, the transformation of Saul, we see God's plan at work. Maybe one of the most dramatic and incredible in church history. The impact he makes, has made and makes on the church is unmeasurable as he has impacted God's kingdom in a radical way. Perhaps and I'd say likely the greatest evangelist out next to Jesus that our world has ever known. And, remarkably, quickly did he become this evangelist. Verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. An immediate transformation. Radical. Three days after meeting Jesus on that road, he is now proclaiming him. As the Son of God. And it should be a reminder to us that we don't need to wait to proclaim who Jesus is and what He has done. We don't need a PhD or permission to do it. 
We merely need to meet Jesus, let Him transform our lives, and begin to proclaim Him. If we can, I would say, boldly and fairly quickly become evangelists of the newest burger joint, or an internet viral sensation, or a new video game, or online retailer, or the current news, if we can quickly become evangelists of these things, often without any fact-checking whatsoever, why are we so hesitant to proclaim the greatest news of all time? Who Jesus is and what He has done. And there may be a number of reasons, and I would say that one of them is likely not knowing all of the answers. What if questions come back to me that I do not know? Paul gives us the encouragement here that the testimony should essentially sound the same from us. Three days later, I know I was lost. I didn't even know it. I didn't even know the depth of my lostness. But Jesus found me. I was blind, but now I see. That's the testimony. When someone asks a question that you don't know, well, I don't know about that. Or yet, I don't know about that. But what I know is I was lost, and now I've been found by Jesus. I was blind, but now I see. And He has made Himself known as the one and only God, the one and only King, the one and only Savior to me. That's the proclamation. We become His evangelists. Now training and equipping and growing and knowledge is all good. We know Paul will go through years of training, of seeking the Lord, of hearing from Him, of meeting with the apostles. All of that will come. But he does not hesitate to proclaim what he knows just three days after meeting Jesus. Now Paul, to be fair, he had equipping that maybe many of us have never had, certainly more than the average Joe. He knew the Scriptures inside and out. He was raised on them. What Scriptures? Well, the first two-thirds of your Bible that you hold in your hand. The Old Testament, the, the Bible that Jesus read. He knew that fairly inside and out. And so when he was struck blind by the light, the light of Jesus, he didn't even see Jesus it seems, he was struck blind by the light that came from Jesus, he heard Jesus speak to him, and for three days he sits blinded, he prays and fasts, what's in his mind? If, that, if, if you're struck blind and you're, you're basically debilitated, he chooses to pray and to fast and ponder the scriptures, ponder what he had thought he knew and now is becoming clear. I'm sure he's thinking back on the scriptures that he has studied from a, from a child before he could even speak. He knew them. I'm sure he's thinking back to the sermons he's heard preached by Philip, by Stephen, as he stood there watching Stephen be persecuted and killed. Certainly Saul has heard the sermons from Peter and John and the other disciples. He's heard the message and he dismissed it. Now, as he sits there blinded, praying, fasting, reflecting, the light that he can't see with his physical eyes, the light spiritually is going on. And he connects the dots. He's met Jesus. 
And so three days later, as God opens up his eyes physically, Paul is ready to open his mouth and proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. And that makes me wonder, what might change in our lives if we were to take three days of prayer and fasting and meditating on God's Word? That's not a prescription. That's a description. And sometimes God gets our attention by slowing us down or blinding us putting us in bed with an illness or a disease or an injury that causes us to pause. Maybe that would be from the Lord. Maybe it could be redeemed. Back to verse 19. As he stays with the disciples in Damascus, he immediately proclaims Jesus, the Son of God. And all who hear him are amazed. But what are they amazed at? They're most amazed amazed not at the proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God. They're most amazed that it is Saul who is preaching the message. Was not this the man who has been wreaking havoc in Jerusalem for those that call upon Jesus' name, his followers? Has he not come here for this very purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? That's what they're amazed about. He certainly is preaching Jesus with his words, but it's the testimony of his life and his transformation that is most amazing to the hearers. His reputation has preceded him. Sometimes the most powerful witness that we can offer is our life, is the transformation in our life, is the spiritual fruit that is growing in our life. Think about some of the most powerful evidences that Jesus truly rose from the dead are in the transformation of his followers. The 11 disciples who had scattered and fled and did not believe his claims all shift, transformed to proclaim him as the risen king. Something happened. It wasn't just their words that were amazing, it was their boldness. It was their unwillingness to relent preaching that message despite persecution and ultimately by church history accounts every one of them went to their death except for John and they tried to kill him but God spared him to write Revelation. What about maybe even more amazing the transformation that happened in Jesus' brothers and his very own mother the woman who gave birth to him The brothers who lived in the home with him growing up. How many of you have brothers? Raise your hand if you've got brothers. If you could convince them to worship you as God, and we laugh. His brothers grew up with him and did not believe his claims. John chapter 7. They thought he was off his rocker. Where Where did he go astray? He was always such a balanced kid growing up. Pretty nice for an older brother, but... Not God. They did not believe him. His mother questioned him. Look at Acts chapter 1. We saw it way, way back when. There gathered in that upper room with those 120 was his mother and his brothers proclaiming him as the risen king. So sometimes the transformation of our life 
is as powerful as a testimony as the words that we speak. So what, is it evident? No, our transformation is not going to look like Saul's. That was kind of a, one, a one-time event. But we could see the similarities as we've been working on the last couple of weeks of God's love and pursuit of us, of His saving grace, the way He transformed us. Some of us have that dramatic type experience. For many of us, it's more gradual, little by little. But is the evidence of a transformed life apparent? Do you see friends from childhood or reunions at reun- class reunions, and is there an evidence of, man, you, what's it, something's different about you. Wow, I didn't, I didn't, I, you were kind of a jerk back then. Is there transformation that is taking place in our life? Well, it's Pentecost, so is there supernatural evidence in our lives of the transforming work of the Spirit? I'm not talking about supernatural fire. I'm talking about supernatural fruit. The true evidence that we're taught in Scripture, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. By their fruit, they will recognize you. Supernatural fruit growing in our life is their evidence of a transformed life. And sometimes that's the most powerful testimony we have. Have you heard the, the quote, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words? It's attributed to Francis of Assisi. I've quoted it in ignorance, but there's two problems with the quote. One, Francis, St. Francis never said it. Two, it's unbiblical. So let's correct it. And we don't have to worry that St. Francis will be offended because he never said it. Preach, how about this? Preach the gospel at all times with both your words and deeds. So we can't only witness with our lives. Even if there's transformation evident, even if there's supernatural fruit being born, people might take notice, be, maybe be astounded at that transformation, but they may simply become followers of us, not Jesus. We need to proclaim Jesus with our words that we would direct people to Him as the reason, the source of that transformation. Nothing in our, our, of ourselves It's not some book that we read or some conference that we went to. So we must witness, as Paul did, proclaiming Jesus and proving that He is the Christ. You ever stumble over that phrase? Saul proclaimed Jesus and proved through the Scriptures that He was the Christ. How do you do that? He confounded many. He left them no argument. And remember, the only scriptures that he had were the Old Testament scriptures as we know them today. There was only one Bible. And from that he proved that Jesus was the Christ. Certainly the evidence of the transformation, something miraculous had happened in this man, something maybe supernatural, That was a part of the confounding proof that he gave, but he left them no more argument. Well, we don't have that exact sermon that he preached, but we have so many through Acts. We'll see them as we continue through Acts and really the rest of the book 
Besides, the next couple chapters focus on Paul and his ministry, his sermons, his preaching, his church planting, his apostolic leadership. So we'll see many of them. But we have through his letters also many of his writings, his sermons, the way he explained the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is one of probably the best summaries of his preaching ministry and what the gospel sounded like that we have recorded for us. Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The present power of the gospel. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Speaking of the Old Testament. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, be Peter, and then to the Twelve. And then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. He's basically saying, so go ask them. Some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then He appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me. Paul proved through the Scriptures that it was all about Jesus. His transformed life gave power to that witness, but God's Word pointed everything to Jesus. Now, just because they were confounded and left with no argument, not all believed. Some responded with faith, others responded with fury. Verse 23, many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, just as they had done to Jesus and just as they had done to his followers. Verse 28. So Paul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they too were seeking to kill him. See, our job is to be spirit-dependent, gospel-fluent, persecution-resistant. God's job is the results. God's job is the transformation. To use our greenhouse language, God's job is the harvest, the germination, the fruit, the evidence. That's God's work. We are the sowers. He is the grower. Our job is to be spirit-dependent, gospel-fluent, persecution-resistant. Verse 31, a summary statement by Luke. He drops a few of these through the letter in Acts. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And man, this struck me. Not that I hadn't read this verse dozens of times at least. But this struck me and it came alive on the page and perhaps one of the most underrated verses in all of Acts. Acts 9.31, not one of the first ones we might go to to memorize. It's not prescription, it is description, but I think we could argue that there's a lot of prescriptive narrative to it. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied and knew peace. So powerful. This is really our our prayer tonight as we gather. We may even use some of these words. We pray that we would be people who walk 
in the fear of the Lord, who live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, who expect the peace of God to be ours, looking for the multiplication that is His. That's our call. And while we're not promised peace externally, we can know peace internally, the shalom of God, as we walk in the fear of the Lord and come to learn what that means, there may not be many things that we know less than than the true fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit. Those things go together. A holy reverence, a holy awe, and the comfort and peace of a God living with us. They go together. And as we do that, church, we should expect the peace of God, at least in us, in our marriages, in our homes, in our families, in our, in our spirit. That's an expectation. We pray, may it also be in our region, in our community. That's not a wrong prayer. We're not promised that. And we expect the multiplication that is His. He's got the results. As we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, with eyes on the fields, the results are His. But we should expect a multiplication of His kingdom. The ever-expanding nature of His kingdom. That's His promise. That's His mission. So we live with an expectancy, trusting the results to be His. Very powerful summary verse for us. Amazing to me that it captures so many of our core convictions. This one little phrase, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. That captures at least five of our core convictions. God's glory is our joy. All things by prayer. Lost people matter to God and He wants them saved. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. Healthy things grow and multiply. Or themes I've been preaching interwoven throughout this series. Would we be spirit-dependent, gospel-fluent, persecution-resistant people? Each one of those could be a sermon. How much time do I got? I'll give a word on each. You know that wasn't true, right? A few words on each. Spirit-dependent. These are basically themes we've been preaching, so I think I can do some summary statements. There's no hope apart from the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, we merely work in our flesh and our own abilities. And we can do a lot in our flesh and our own abilities. An amazing amount. I'd say maybe even an astonishing amount. It may even look like the Spirit at work. And depending on where you land with the Spirit's gifting versus His empowerment, we might even in our flesh for our own desires take things that are His and apply them in ways He wouldn't. We can do an amazing amount without the Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Paul was growing in strength. Did you catch that that phrase? Growing in strength all the more. We know that wasn't his strength. It wasn't physical strength. It was strength in the Spirit. He had been 
met by Jesus and filled by the Spirit, verse 17 of chapter 9, Ananias had come and said, Brother Saul, that's where we left off last time, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road by which you came, and he sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Met by Jesus, filled by the Holy Spirit, healed, transformed. Now he is working, exercising the gifts of the Spirit in response to the commission of Jesus, the promise of Jesus. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So Paul says, I take that, I receive that, and now I work with the Spirit. He becomes fully Spirit dependent and he lives in strength growing more and more. Not his, but the Lord's. And I preached on the filling of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit and waiting upon the Spirit. I think those were three sermons toward the beginning of this series. So you can go dig in if you would desire to do so. I'll say this. The mission of Jesus compels us to pursue the power of the Spirit. The mission to be His witnesses, to be light going into the darkness, to be salt to the earth as we look into the fields as we look into our world like we've talked about this morning already and we see the pain and we see the hurt and we see the evil as we look to the mission which we've been called to how can we not say holy spirit without you there is no hope what message do i have for those that have just had their sons and daughters taken from them by evil. How could I say anything or do anything to bring healing or to bring good from that? God, that's your promise. Holy Spirit, help. We need the Holy Spirit's help to walk across the street and know what to say to our neighbor. To interject to our coworker who might be spouting off a word that would actually bring hope and encouragement, even if not received. Man, we need the Holy Spirit in all that we do. The mission of Jesus must compel us to pursue the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit in us should compel us to the mission. It must. And so as we gather in Places like this, as we gather tonight to create space to seek the Lord, to go deeper. We pray, Holy Spirit, we go deeper that we, that we might be bolder. We want to be fuller that we can reach further. They must go together. There must be an outflow or it becomes stagnant. There must be rivers of living water flowing through us. That's the promise that Jesus gave. Intimacy with the Spirit and walking with the Spirit is, is not primarily for us. It's for one another and for the world. We are conduits. David Hearn, Dr. David Hearn, he's president of the, the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada. He challenged us at council last year, something like this, but I grabbed this quote from a recent challenge he gave to our new Envision missionaries being launched on the field. There was a, a summer email that was sent out this week but he preached something very similar to the gathering of 
2,000 pastors and leaders last summer in Columbus, and he said, I will not lead this ministry. He was referring to his leadership of the Alliance in Canada. I will not lead this ministry, and you should not lead your churches without the fresh anointing of the Spirit of God. The fresh anointing. And he comes right alongside Paul, who says to the Ephesian church, continue to be filled with the Spirit. Continue to walk with Him. Keep in step with Him in all that you do. We must be Spirit-dependent. Second, Gospel-fluent. It's a phrase I'll borrow from Pastor Jeff Vanderstelt over at Doxa. And he's probably borrowed it from someone else. I'm not sure it's original, but Gospel-fluency. It's just another way of saying all about Jesus. The Gospel is a who more than it is a what. The gospel is God's salvation in Jesus. The past, present, and future saving of Jesus. Did you pick that up in 1 Corinthians 15? I tried to emphasize it. You are being saved. There is a present reality. Just like there's a past reality, that moment we meet Jesus and are spirit-filled, there's a present, ongoing saving that is happening in us. We have been justified We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. There is a past, present, and future reality of God's saving work in Jesus. That's the gospel. It's transformative for all of life. His kingdom has come. It is coming. And it will one day be fully here. And I've preached that message, I hope, consistently. And I intend to do so. And I hope it doesn't get tiring. It's all about Jesus. Knowing and living that out is what it means to be gospel fluent. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. All the promises of God. See, when he proved that Jesus was the Christ, he went back through the scriptures and showed how the promises were being fulfilled and had been fulfilled in Jesus. That's why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. The Bible is one story. It's his story. It's history. So Paul preaches like Philip. Philip preached like Stephen. Stephen and Philip and Paul preached like Peter and John and the other disciples. Why? Because they'd all been taught to preach that way by Jesus. Jesus said in John 5, 39, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Verse 46, If you had believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. You know, the name Jesus doesn't show up in the Old Testament Scriptures. Pretty bold claim to say that their greatest prophet, the one who spoke On behalf of God, more clearly and maybe as well as anyone, he wrote of Jesus. It's a bold claim. The reason why they wanted to kill him. But all gospel-fluent disciples essentially do the same. They walk through Scripture. They can see on every page of the Old Testament Scriptures, Jesus. And we should be able to do the same. Because Jesus did, Luke 24, 27, on another road, he walked with his disciples after he was risen from the dead. And beginning with Moses, through all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things in Scripture concerning himself. Pretty amazing Bible study that would have been. 
We should be able to do that. We should be growing to be gospel fluent. Where we could turn to any page and any portion of Scripture and, and find in it a path to Jesus. Whether it's a promise or a law given that men and women continually break and need redemption from, that Jesus came and ultimately fulfilled because we have no hope outside of Him. Whether it's a person, a story about a leader, a deliverer, a priest, a king, a prophet, a judge. And they may have done good things and been used by God, but ultimately they fail. They have sin, they have brokenness. And we say, well, God did use them, but it leaves us wanting more. A greater deliverer, a greater rescuer, a greater king, prophet, priest. And we look to Jesus and find the perfect one. We can look through a story of brokenness and pain and suffering, just like we see in our world around us, and say, it does, doesn't it leave you longing and wanting more? Isn't that what your heart cry is? That this can't be it? It can't go like this. This can't be the end of the story. Everything we're trying to do. I mean, you can put as many head taxes as you want. It doesn't get better. And so that either ends in despair or it ends in Jesus. And if we're gospel fluent, we lead people to look to Jesus who did say this is not our home. And also gave us the hope that as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a one-day prayer, but he said, on earth as it is in heaven, there's a present reality, hope to that prayer. May it be, Lord. God was convicting me earlier this week when my behaviors and my thoughts were less than glorifying to him. I was irritable, frustrated, judgmental and selfish i know none of you can relate so just bear with me and show me grace but what i was convicted on is that my faith wasn't the problem now my faith needs to grow as does yours but my faith in those moments and those reactive times and poor attitudes my faith was not the problem my forgetfulness was i was not living conscious awareness of the Holy Spirit with me, of who God is, what He has done, and what He's promised. A consciousness. If that was my conscious reality in those moments, it transforms everything. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's a goal. That's an aspirational kind of call. Take it captive. This is going to be work and effort being ready to punish every disobedience, we become far less reactive as we are conscious of who God is, what He's done, and what He's promised. In our very moments, we might actually got, become gospel fluent that would bless and serve others, maybe our spouse, our kids, our extended family, our neighborhoods, our workplace. Lord, don't just make us gospel fluent, make us gospel conscious to remember who you are, what you've done, and what you've promised. So I'd add to the recommendation for a resource. I gave a couple kids' recommendations. Well, kids' Bible, Jesus' storybook Bible. I hope you read about the never-ending, always pursuing. I'm mixing it with the, with the song that we sing, the reckless love of God, the never-ending love and pursuit of God that's on every page of Scripture. Show Them Jesus by Jack Klumpenhauer. 
writing to Sunday school teachers primarily how to teach, but man, so good for parents, so good for people wanting to talk to friends. Everything's about Jesus. I'd add uh, Jeff Vanderstelt's new book, Gospel Fluency, to that same theme. And if you'd like equipping, join us in our Essentials Growth Group. Uh, consider taking the count, biblical counseling training that Cannon Hills offers in the fall and the weekends, all helping us become gospel fluent. Finally, persecution resistant. I should wrap. I suppose I could have titled it persecution expectant. When we look at Paul's life, we see a description of what it looks like to face persecution and to endure. Jesus said in John 15:20, "Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you." So we both have description and prescription that persecution is expected. It's not always going to look the same. Paul took his lumps. Man, he stood and preached and was not afraid to be beaten, even stoned, to be whipped. In this account, he also flees twice. Oh, that gives me a deep breath. That we, one, don't need to go looking for persecution. It's going to come be in the world we live. And two, it's not always right to antagonize or to stand firm. If we're walking with the Spirit, there's going to be a time to be sent and to get out for the good that God wants to continue through us. And there's going to be a time to stay rooted. If we're with the Spirit and He's staying standing, we're standing. When the Spirit goes, we go. We must be in tune. Back to Spirit dependency. We're uh, persecution resistant. The Spirit will allow us the strength and the power to endure. But by God's grace, if there's a door to take or a basket to get in, maybe at times that's okay. Let's walk with Him and see how He leads. So I guess I'll leave it to be continued sign when I invite the team to come up so that we can begin our response. And when I say to be continued, I hope it's always. It's as we walk out these doors. It's as you wake up tomorrow and walk through your Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday as we head into a holiday weekend next weekend and hopefully some rest for some of you, some family time or some vacation time, that as we say to be continued, it's, it's because we are ongoing. This isn't the place that we meet with God and then have to come back and find Him. The Holy Spirit has come. He doesn't need to come again. He's with us and in us. He's with you as you walk out. To be continued, live it out. Lord, make us conscious, both gospel fluent and gospel conscious, Make us persecution resistant if it may come this week that we stand our ground or we move to where you're moving us. There's a time where he sends. Lord, make us spirit dependent in all that we do. And I guess to be continued includes tonight. So as we sing here and respond here, I hope it continues tonight as we come and actually create space for you to interact, engage, to share, to pray, to speak as we become people seeking the spirit seeking how to walk with Him in all that we do. Let's be a church like verse 31. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, praying for the peace of God to be known, to be experienced, and praying, Lord, multiply Your church and Your kingdom. Multiply Your work in us, Lord. Let's make that our prayer now. You can begin and let's pray as we seek the Lord in response. Father God, thank you. You've sent Jesus to live the life we should have lived and did not live, to die the death we deserve to die for our rebellion, 
for our sin, for our doubt, that we might know life that we could never even have hoped for. Help us to know and become aware of that today. We seek to walk in the fear of a holy God and the comfort of a Holy Spirit who is in us, with us, and wants to empower through us for your mission, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but may it begin in each one of our lives, in my life, in my heart, in my soul, in my mind, in my attitude, in my strength. Make me spirit-dependent, Lord. We want to be your people with your eyes, your heart, your hands, your feet. Move us where we need to go. Send us where we need to be sent. Help us be rooted if we're supposed to be rooted. And open up our mouths along with our lives to give testimony of who you are, what you've done, and what your promise is for what's to come. For your glory and our joy, Lord, we pray. Amen.